to Cannon Fodder. This is the supplementary show to the 20-sided podcast all about world building and lore. This is an exercise in collaboration, improvisation, storytelling, where we build a world one piece at a time. And we determine what piece we're going to be building each week by spinning the wheel of world building. And a guest will join me and we will just build things right in front of you. Topics can be anything. Last week, we talked about the Meyerwood Forest and kind of took a look in there. Uh, This week is going to be a brand new spin and the wheel has no memory. It could be anything. could be absolutely anything. And whatever we come up with, no matter how crazy, will become canon within the Fractured Realms and within the 20-sided podcast itself. So basically, we have the fate of the world in our hands. No pressure. Today's guest, very good friend of mine. He is a lawyer and one of the most prolific readers of sci-fi and fantasy I know. He's one of my oldest friends in New York, and I'm very happy to have him on the podcast. May I please introduce Michael Longo? Thank you, Brian. That was very sweet. Oh, what a nice you. intro. Uh, you know, I try. <laughs> I wanted to have you on this podcast because you have recommended to me more like fantasy books and more like thick. Like you read all of The Wheel of Time, which is a whole mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I'm recently reading the um, uh, the Stormlight Archives, which is, you know, Brandon Sanderson has these crazy world building things. That's kind of where yeah. I got the inspiration for this podcast. What is your relationship with, because I know you're not a D&D player, no. uh, but what is your relationship with like san- fantasy and sci-fi? How did you get into it? Uh, I read a little bit of it in high school and like middle school, like the dark tower, that series by Stephen King, which is kind of like loosely fantasy. I tried that. I could never get into it. Yeah. It's weird. And like, he kind of just forgets what's going on in it. It seems like, for, <laughs> like, cause he writes it over the course of like 20 or 30 years. Right. Um, and it just gets real weird. He becomes a character at one point. It's, it's, it's weird. Oh yeah. They like go to real earth and they're like, Oh, we got to go meet Stephen King or something. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's a whole thing. Stephen King. Yeah. And then, um, and I read like Lord of the Rings when that was popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, when the Game of Thrones show came out and I read all the books there and then I was waiting between Dance with Dragons and the sixth book. And I was like, in between these two, right. I will start a new series. And um, I've just been reading fantasy books waiting for that sixth book to come out, which I, I don't even know if I would read at this point because I kind yeah, of forget the kinda, details of, I'm not going to reread uh, Game of Thrones. It is crazy how before the final season of that show, everyone was so excited to like rewatch the show when it was done. And I've not heard a peep about game of thrones since it ended. Yeah. They just released a uh, trailer for house of dragons or something. And Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, whatever. Maybe. Yeah. Um, we'll but so I've gone through like a few s- series at this point and especially when I was like fresh out of college and pretty much unemployed, I was just like powering through wheel of time and mm-hmm. a few other series. And then I did stormlight archives, which is really good. And um, I just finished the most recent series that I read, the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemison. You ever hear of that? I don't know that one. It's really good. It's just very, I don't know. It's like an interesting take on a fantasy story because it's like semi like post apocalyptic. Okay, but it's also fantasy. It's pretty cool. But I don't really have one that I'm reading right now. But I have like a bookshelf that is just fantasy books. What's your recommendation for people who haven't necessarily gotten into fantasy? And what's your recommendation for like? fantasy like hardcore fantasy nerds mm, hmm. stormlight archive it's gonna be one of those i don't even I, I guess it'd be hardcore just because it's so intense like the brandon sanderson like how all of his books are kind of interconnected with the cosmere thing mm-hmm. so mistborn which is another book which is like the first thing that i read by him which is like pretty good it's like i think that mistborn might be like an intro series that i would recommend although i, I didn't love it as much as stormlight archive and uh Maybe the the first law trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. You ever hear of that? No. 
there's a weird like fantasy like subcategory that's a, a super lame name. It's like grim dark, which are these like really like gritty takes on oh, fantasy yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. And um this is like the considered one of like the best examples of that, where it's just a very like gritty, like messy world and you know, like the good and evil lines aren't well drawn, which is like kind of common in fantasy now since like Game of Thrones, like made that such a big theme of. Yeah. Like, people are really liking the like dark and everyone can die at any minute type thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good one too. Um, and he kind of expanded on that series too. Uh, so, so I would recommend, I guess for like an intro, maybe Mistborn or the first law trilogy. And um, if somebody's like really into it, Stormlight Archives, cause that's, Stormlight Archives so is really good. Intense. And and at the end of Stormlight Archives, I remember I was at work reading the last like 100 pages because I couldn't. Did couldn't you finish Rhythm there. of War? Oh, I'm on Oathbringer, man. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> All right. And it's also like to explain how good those books are. I read the second uh, Words of Radiance, which is like I think 1,200 or maybe it's like 1,400 pages. Yeah. In the same time it took me to read like Sally Rooney's new book, which I think is like <laughs> 200 pages. <laughs> I don't know if I would recommend Wheel of Time to people because that's like the, I think the longest, oh fuck, no, Malazan Book of the Fallen. That's what I would this recommend. This is the one you were talking about that's just like, it's a ton of books and there's like insane cosmology or something. Yeah, it rule. It's, cause it, and you would love it too because it's this guy and his friend uh, in like college, they created like this D&D world that was like very fleshed out and a bunch of different continents oh. and sorts of races and stuff like that. And he just started writing a series set in that world and then his like, D and D partner also wrote a few, which I never read any of his, but, uh, <laughs> those are the shitty ones. You gotta read. I, th- I think guys. they're the shitty ones from, from like, I like, you know, reading on like blogs. I'm like, should I bother with this? And they're like, yeah, if you want to, I was like, I don't, I'm not going <laughs> to no. read an 800 page book. Cause like, eh, maybe, but that's really good too. So I would also recommend that. I, I, I would just recommend a bunch of books and really not convey one good example. I don't think I would recommend wheel of time. I've heard it is a bit tough. I, I love certain sections of it, but it has like two or three of the worst books I've ever read Ooh, in it. Okay. It's crazy bad. I, and I just kept doing it because I was like unemployed. I, I had nothing know. else to do. Yeah, I had nothing else to do. No, I had nothing else to do. It wasn't even that I cared to know. And then Brandon Sanderson finished that series too. He's great. He's so. great. It is insane. Like I'm, I read Patrick Rothfuss's two books, Name of the, the Wind, Wind and The Wise Man's Fear. And it's crazy. Like the first one came out in like 2004. Next one came out in like 2007. And the third one hasn't come out yet. I'm just like in that time, Brandon Sanderson's written like, I don't know, 15,000 pages or something. Yeah. That's, I haven't read those just because unless, until he announces the third book, I'm not going to bother getting started on that. They are very good. That's what I hear. It and is, so I would like to read them. I would love for him to announce. Tore through the first book, tore through the second book. And I was like, shit, I need. <laughs> and that's why, that's why I came to you. And I was like, you got to give me a record. I need, give me a 12,000 page book. <laughs> like, I, need, <laughs> I need something huge. I'm going to give you my mouths on Book of the Fallen to read. That's great. I think it's time to take a look at this wheel. Mm-hmm. We've got a wheel here. There's like 30 or 40 different things on it. Some of them are kind of broad, like fashion, sports, idioms is on there. Some of them are more specific. They're like specific names. That's the uh, the wedge of divinity there. Those are all like the nine gods of the world. Just looking at it real quick, is there anything that pops out at you that you would want to talk about or maybe things that you definitely don't want to talk about? We're going to leave it up to chance no matter what, but I want to get your uh, your take. I like like, festivals, national identity, mm-hmm. like stuff like that, where you see it a lot in, in Malzahn where it's, it's cause the story is told over like a long period of time, like seeing how like weird things that we do today, like have evolved, you know, sure. like, like 
everyone like wears a tie when they go to work. And it's like, oh, well, if you would jump back in the 1700s and everyone was wearing like tight ascots or some shit, you know, like some like anthropological reason for why current cultural like trends exist. So that's always like super interesting to me. And I guess that kind of connects like national identity or like festivals or gestures or something. Um, Yeah, it is kind of taking anything that is like ubiquitous and looking back at its origins is always fun. Cause there's usually some kind of interesting story about the origin of like, why do we give a thumbs up or why do we, you know, whatever. Yeah. But then I always feel bad when I'm like super into that in like a fantasy book. And I'm like, I guess I should care more about this in the real <laughs> world. I guess it really doesn't matter. Yeah. What's the difference? Um, but yeah, I, I would be down for uh, whatever. And there's also a bunch of words here that I don't know. So great. I think it's time. Let's go ahead and spin that wheel of world building. And here we go. Let's see what we get. And what do we get? Twilight Assembly. Okay, the Twilight Assembly. This is going to be a little less broad, a little more specific. The, the Twilight Assembly is a United Nations, essentially, of the the three major continents and of the countries within. Representatives, I'll go there, except for uh, save a few holdouts. Um, the like mercenary nation of Vena, which is just in the middle of a desert, is a holdout. Everyone like. No one fucks with them. They don't fuck with anybody. They give mercenaries to anyone who can pay. And the Dreg Empire, who exist in this, like, wandering miasma of smog in, like, an unwanted valley. So it's also, like, land no one wants. No one fucks with them. They don't fuck with anybody type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the world has three major continents kind of centered around air, water, and earth. They surround what is called the Liminal Sea, just a large ocean. And in the center of this is a small island which housed the Twilight Assembly, the small island, actually a piece of the moon, which was shattered during this like War of the Titans, fell to the earth and kind of became this like strange island. Mm -hmm. And Twilight Assembly is centered there. That is kind of all that is known at this point of the Twilight Assembly, though they are like a major thing. So we're going to kind of come up with a little bit of history, a little bit of, I don't know, politics and workings, and maybe uh, some, some extra stuff. Let's talk about the founding of something like this. Mm-hmm. How does something like this come about? Well, to rip off of the United Nations, mm. often these sorts of things happen after a big, large-scale war between multiple nations, not just two. And then in the peace, there is an attempt to sort of solidify the peace by sort of creating these unions that then would be hard to backtrack out of if you need to. Right go to war and make might, might make a nation hesitate. One of like the ma- the major events in this world is the, the current year is 1025 at essentially year zero, a rift in essentially the world started out as a mundane world, like, like ours bereft of magic, a rift opened up through like time and space. And these three massive Titans came through waging a massive war. They were eventually like defeated and locked away, mm-hmm. but magic kind of seeped through this rift and it became, you know, a D&D classical, like, high fantasy world. But there was this crazy war between these three titans, not necessarily with the people involved. But I think in the immediate aftermath of this, like, massive cataclysm, essentially, mm-hmm. there would be some kind of power struggle, I guess. That would be, like, the impetus of building this assembly. Sure. So the new gods, what happens with them? The nine new gods were essentially the, like, nine champions who defeated the titans. Mm-hmm. Upon defeating them, they like ascended to godhood and kind of removed themselves from the 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 mortal plane. 
Mm-hmm. So they still like come and exist. They like grant powers to worshipers and things like that, but they are largely outside of the material plane. Right. And I'd assume that if they killed the gods that they were, you know, in some sort of, you know, they were sort of like Achilles or like leaders in their community. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. I, to be fair, like not a lot of that has been fleshed out. That'll be something that's fleshed yeah. out in future episodes. But these were like great heroes yeah. um, who were likely leaders or in some cases like villains, but of great power. Mm-hmm. So I would think that with the sort of power vacuum that have that happens when your nine like living beings that could potentially defeat gods yeah. leave and, and ascend to godhood themselves, that the remaining nations may seek to collaborate because basically, you know, all of these, these figures have now unified to to join godhood. You know, there's a reason for all these different civilizations to have a unifying pact based on the fact that, you know, key figures in their communities or in their nations uh, are now, have now basically are part of their religion. So they might come together for religious purposes and then that may evolve into sort of trade and uh, peace packs. Now, do you think that, so when, so I'm thinking, so you're definitely right. If the, if these like nine heroes are, you know, the greatest among us, and then all of a sudden leave, they're likely leaders in the communities. If they leave, do you think that people are immediately saying like, hey, we should band together because all our leaders band together? Mm. Or leaders leave, is there now a power vacuum within each of these civilizations that now creates? That, that creates a subsequent war you're saying i i I guess i'm asking you do you think there that after the defeat of this essentially essentially like these things were able to defeat a force of nature by like sealing away these titans Mm -hmm. do you think that everyone came together after that like was that a unifying thing or was there hey this happened great our leaders are gone now what the hell are we doing and now there are skirmishes or power struggles within each of these countries and areas and then all of a sudden that kind of blends together into a larger conflict. Yeah. Well, I, I would think that it would be a big conflict to fight a bunch of gods. And I think yeah. that that would probably leave like devastation in its wake. So I would imagine that after that, that, that like that could be the impetus for like, let's chill for a second. Okay. And then as skirmishes pop up, you know, the sort of evolution of let's create a sort of unifying governing body that, you know, prevents, uh, we've seen too much bloodshed at this point right. from having fought a bunch of gods that in the ensuing years, there's sort of a buildup of collaborations and alliances to bring people together. And that that ultimately leads is, is formalized, you know, maybe not immediately, but if, but some years later as the twilight assembly. Right. Okay. So then it's massive, you know, war of the Titans happens people come together afterwards to like help rebuild what is i guess it, when we start looking at like formalizing this thing mm-hmm. who do you think are I, I, what i think we need is we need a, a name of like a leader a person that people were able to like come behind mm-hmm. like a person who like pushed this thing forward and a name of like the magna carta of this of this institution like what was the founding principles of this of this assembly mm, the name for the first, I guess, de facto president of the Twilight Assembly, mm-hmm. of course, would be Strick Brogman. Strick Brogman? It's a strong name. It's a strong name. You would agree with me? I'd follow Strick Brogman. 
as with the people of this world. And they did. Uh, and they did. And are you talking about like, like what just the name of the Magna Carta is or some principle? I or? guess, yeah. What was like the founding ideal? Was there like a, yeah. What, like, was there a, like a name for the charter or was there like a founding ideal? I'm almost trying to think like, what is the motto? You know what I mean? I'm trying to find like a single phrase or sentiment that unifies that everyone like was able to rally behind and that's what formed the twilight assembly i think that's where i want to get to Mm. i don't know if we have to find that right now but i think that's where we should be aiming towards you know what i mean yeah like an idea of like peace and prosperity yeah and i mean that could be it like that's what's on the seal peace and prosperity yeah that works. Did you call me on specifically because I'm a lawyer to come up with a charter document for this world? Like I said, the the wheel, <laughs> we could have been talking about idioms. Or I don't like, know this wheel, like Brian. like rude gestures. I don't know where this comes from. All right, let's spin the wheel again. No, we no, got? no. Okay. We're in let's, see, let's see what we would have got. Let's see what we would have gotten. Okay. See, we could have gotten the continent of Azore. That's true. I would have had to, you, you would have made me make the laws for that as well. I see where this is. This is the first, like we had Abby on and I've got fashion on here and we did not get fashion. Mm. Yeah. So now we got to make some laws. Okay. Let's talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now we assembled behind this idea of peace and prosperity. People begin to come together. What is, I I mean, I've kind of talked about a little bit in the 20 sided podcast, the show that there is a kind of like grand chamber. There's like people up above like signatory members of the nations. Mm-hmm. What is, what does like the council look like? What is the makeup of that council? Uh, well, I would say that each nation, you know, I think it would be probably more like the Senate than the house and that it would be like a set number from each nation. Mm-hmm. So rather than it being the population, based, population yeah. or something like that, which like you couldn't really do without like a census or something. So and, like each nation is sending like five representatives or something. Mm-hmm like one spokesperson and then one who's the head, but then everyone else is basically, you know, junior senators essentially. Right. Yeah. Like how, what do you mean? How would they be? I guess I'm trying to get a, a sense of what the governance of this thing would look like. So I guess it would just be like a kind of democratic system. People like raise concerns and like they're voted on very much like the house or the Senate does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think so. And, uh, I, I wonder if it would be a toothless body like like the UN mm-hmm. in some ways. Like if it's not just being like, we don't like the way the mercenaries are doing things now. Right. Like somebody send a letter to them saying that we all disapprove of this. Uh, I, I, I don't know to the extent that this thing would have, you know, it's not going to be a. Well, you, you tell me, is it a world government that actually can impact or set binding laws over these things or the only thing I've had it do so far is when two nations went to war, they Mm -hmm. like blockaded and excommunicated them essentially. So they cut them off from like the rest of the world. They kind of quarantined them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was their, that was the tool in their arsenal. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't really know about an overall like law thing. I I would, I would guess that these nations would still have a decent amount of autonomy because you wouldn't have like one world government. Like that's just, yeah, it's that's just, just not, not, not going to work. And so I would think that it's sort of this punishment by exclusion mm-hmm. thing where like, if you're a part of this, then you can benefit from our trade rates or whatever. Right. Our resources. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that like overt acts of aggression very often will come to the floor to determine like, is this member acting out of line? Stuff like that. So right. for the example of 
Tottenpool, right? Yeah, Tottenpool and Slakehaven. Tottenpool and Slakehaven. So, like, when that broke out, I would imagine that, you know, that came to the floor and that everyone voted, like, you can't have this, like, aggression in between our members. Kick them both out and get out of here. Put them on timeout, yeah. And so they're they're booted then until they all all get together and then it's all fine. Then it's all fine. (laughs) I think we should pull away, only because I think if we get into, like, the concepts of like laws it's just going to get no i think we should go deeper i think we should get more specific we can can get into like the torts and the you know the bylaws how how do how do corporate bodies get sort of sanctioned yeah yeah yeah. so i think let's go let's go in a like a bit more fun direction (laughs) (laughs) only because if i if i have you sit here and like make laws for me man you you just finished your day job let's um, so another thing we need is a visual of this place. Mm-hmm. So we know it is on an island. Yes. So we need both a visual of what the building looks like. Like, is there something special about it? It's meant to represent the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what is the, the signatory members? Like, what is their attire? In the same way, like, judges have, you know, judge robes or, or things. Um, is there a, like, specialty attire that everyone's wearing? Like what sets them apart? Well, my first thought to go to your, your, your first point of what it's like there is I am imagining, and I don't know if you've been to the Margaritaville <laughs> restaurant, <laughs> but the people on the, in, in the Twilight Assembly absolutely are on island time. And so I'm imagining wood paneling, a lot of uh, sort of wicker Straw coming out, you know. Sure. Um, parrots, colorful. It's an island. Yeah. And this, this, I, I, and I would imagine that in a place of peace and prosperity, Margarita, like it is, it is a comfortable place to be. And not, it's not Margaritaville, obviously, it doesn't exist in this world, but just a sort of calm demeanor. It is palm Mar- trees, Martiniville. Open windows to signify the transparency. Sure. Surrounding the circular building that they're in wood paneled floors. I think that that is a peaceful place to do business. So is, so is getting a point to the twilight assembly? Like, is it a cush? Is this like a, a cush political? It absolutely is a cush job. Okay. You go there, you relax and you basically sanction, you know, you sanction people if you need to, but really you're talking over setting what more, more like minor disputes, like, like setting rates for taxes and shit and just right. recognizing certain nations, commending certain nations in certain instances and sending aid where you can, but it's not so bad. It's not so bad. Not so bad. Uh, in terms of what they're wearing. Yeah, is um, there like a, a uniform of sorts? Yeah. Uh, I would say everyone is in sort of, you know, it's unisex attire, say like a, uh, like a black jumpsuit, V neck, um, okay. formal, gold trimmings around the side mm-hmm. and a cinched at the waist. I think I I'm describing, I understand a karate uniform. <laughs> you are describing a gi. Yes. yes, 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 yes. Just a really fancy one, but just formal silk sort of draped, you know, in the same way that like, you know, like, like, like a toga or something sort of a, a comfortable, but still austere mm-hmm. uniform. That you would have to wear basically when you go there and on the floor. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. 
So I think we've got a good idea of what this place looks like, how it was formed, what its function is. I think we should look at, before we move on to lightning round, is look at maybe find one, what is like a major event that has happened within the Twilight Assembly in the, in its history? Because every like governing body has some kind of like major event that has happened within it, like some kind of scandal, some kind of moment of reckoning or something. Is there some kind of moment that has happened in the Twilight Assembly that is noteworthy? Yes. I think that at some point in the history of this, right? Mm. Um, Because you have this casual environment that seems like a cushy job, and that Mm. is a cushy job in many ways. And so I think there has to be something to check people so that, you know, they understand the severity of it. And I would imagine at some point in the past of Twilight Assembly, Maybe on the floor, there's a legitimate violent skirmish between two nations that happens like on the floor of the Twilight Assembly. And so like blood is spilled in the Twilight Assembly. And that sort of like checks everyone and has them understand the gravity of what's happening there. There are two nations that aren't part of the Twilight Assembly. There's Mm -hmm. the Orc Nation of Venna, which is very much a mercenary nation. Mm Mm-hmm. It's in the middle of a desert. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Dreg Empire, which is in the valleys of Azore, kind of living within this wandering miasma smog, like living in a polluted area and like learning to live with that. It doesn't have to be, but these are two nations that are not within the Twilight Assembly. Do you think one of them was within the Twilight Assembly, then this event, blood was spilled and they left? Or do you think this, is, this event happened between two nations that are still a part of the Assembly? Uh, I would, th- I think that it would be fitting for it to be the mercenary. W- what's the nation name? Venna. Venna. The Venna people that, you know, in trying to invite as many people to the Twilight Assembly to create some sort of order, they invite the Venna civilization. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, at no point do they consider themselves to actually earnestly want to be a part of this. Right. They gain entry but it's a mercenary world and the people that they send are mercenaries. Right. It's a mercenary community and then the people they send are mercenaries and they basically wait until they can send a message to the Twilight Assembly, which is basically do not fuck with us. And after they're there for a few months observing and seeing how it all works mm-hmm. during seemingly an innocuous, you know, ministerial moment, not, yeah. even, not even anything that's, imposing on them or right, what it's have not a floor you fight. It's just a normal yeah. day. You have the five representatives of Venna come to the floor and just like murder many people and then slink out just okay. a few people. They're not wiping out the twilight. Assembly, right, right, right. But, but they, but it's a message like, Hey, we're going to do our own thing. Don't fuck with us. Yes. They, so while they're there seemingly coming in peace, they violently murder people and, and, send a message back after they've returned to their community saying, okay. So does, do you think this happened? Is this like sanctioned by Vena? Is this like how the nation feels as a whole? Or is this, was this the act of just those five people or the act of like the government of Vena? I want to say that it's done by Vena as a whole, but I don't know if that would work because then just the wrath that gets turned on them would be so, and, and, you know, they still need to live off of some sort of trade or something, presumably. Mm-hmm. So I say let's blame it on a small faction 
like a faction of Venna, and Venna is able to like play it off, being like, "Whoa, these guys!" Right, these these guys, not but they're sort of the Venna Puritans, sure. essentially, that have gained access and managed to weasel their way into these positions of authority. And then, so after this event, is it that the Twilight Assembly no longer wants Venna to be a part of it, or is it that Venna says, "Actually, we're going to keep sitting this one out," or is it both? Is both. Are they just like, "Hey, both"? This this was not a match made in heaven. Or no, Twilight Assembly. Twilight Assembly is going to say never again um, because Venna goes back. Venna apologizes and says, "This is a group of extremists within our, you know, mercenary world who mm-hmm. who don't even want trade, want nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Really, just sort of cover their own asses so they don't go to war." And um, the Twilight Assembly basically says, "Like, okay, we can't have everybody be a part of this," and so it drops it. So an event like that is obviously going to be like defining in that governing body. Mm-hmm. Is there a name for that event? Is there like a colloquial name for it? Mm. I'm just thinking like, you know, Bloody Sunday type of thing. D-Day. Something like uh, the Vena Five or something. Like the five representatives of Vena. Mm-hmm. Like it's known as like the event of the five assassins. Something like that. So maybe, I don't know, the Day of the Five or the, the Attack of the Five, something like that. Yeah. Betrayal of the Five. Betrayal of the Five, I like that. All right, let's play with that. That feels great. I feel like we have like a decent idea of kind of what this body is, who they are, what they look like. Uh, is there anything else you want to add to the Twilight Assembly before we move on to Lightning Round? It's just they have a great end-of-the-year party. <laughs> Hell yeah. We have two segments on the show. We have the Wheel of World Building, and we have... Lightning Round! Everything we just did was is kind of locked into the canon now. The next few questions are a little bit more ephemeral, a little bit more transitory. You'll see what I mean. Um, mm. Three questions. First one, uh, within the Twilight Assembly, what is a rumor that is currently going around? Could be true, could be false, could be exaggerated or downplayed. Mm. What's, what's a rumor that's currently going around? Mm. Mm. But what's, what's the air nation? The continent of Azore is kind of the like air area. The Dreg Empire is in the lowlands. They're like kind of the poisoned air. And the like rarefied air is the untethered cities, which literally float above the mountains. Sure. So I think that one rumor going around mm-hmm. is that one of the representatives from the untethered cities, mm-hmm. who's been a part of the Twilight Assembly now for, for some time, yeah. for, for you know, a couple of years, but that he's actually a sort of Danny Ocean-like thief okay, known throughout the world and that he has been sent and that he's at the Twilight Assembly for some unknown purpose. I normally don't ask follow-ups, but I have to, <laughs> I have to ask a follow-up on this. Um, you can either, you can pick one of two things. Okay. A name for the thief, not, maybe not necessarily the person's actual name, but like the name, like, you know, the knight, whatever, the night walker mm-hmm. uh, or his calling card. Oh man. I really wish I could remember. You see oceans 12. Yeah. What's the name of the dude from the, the night Fox. Yeah. Something like that. It's the night Fox. And I, I mean, it's too close. You can't just do the night Fox here. Obviously it's too on the nose, but, um, the black cat, black cat, black cat. Classic. Second question in the twilight assembly. What is the name of a person there? And what is the most interesting thing about them? This could be a physical feature. This could be a foible. This could be a opinion that they have. And it could be someone important. It could be someone 
totally unimportant. Just what's the name of a person in this area? In the Twilight Assembly, like a like a representative who could be a representative, could be a like staff member, like a janitor, just someone that is located in this area, like on this island. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's get away from the actual representatives and stuff here. So let's go to just a man who lives on the island. Yeah. Um, he just lives in a hut. Um, and his family's lived on the island for as far back as he is aware of his family. Okay. His name is Fink. <laughs> I'll, 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 Fink. Yeah, his name is Fink. <laughs> Doesn't know his last name. His family's been there forever. And he knows he was raised Fink. And uh, he's getting up. He's, not, he's, he's like in his 50s. Okay. And he believes that his fa- he comes from a long line of kings of this small island. Mm-hmm. And so he is under the impression that he is then, as he is king of the island, and as the Twilight Assembly is on the island, he is sort of a sovereign citizen who, you know, he, he believes that he has some sort of actual gotcha. right to lead and perhaps is the leader of this organization. He might be a little crazy. Uh, you know, he's, he's handing out pamphlets outside. Sure. And like, he, he's a little crazy, but thing. also like might be right, like might have some legitimacy in that he's, there is like another people on this island that is not necessarily twilight assembly. Yeah. And that would have some sort of governing body, but like presumably, you know, that, that goes back thousands of years and, and is lost to time at this point, but he's still like, uh, he's still like pushing, like look up, think, read up, <laughs> go to your library, read up on the Finks. Yeah. You'll learn about how he's, you know, and so, so he has some sort of delusions of grandeur that he is essentially the emperor of the world. Because he is king of the island where the world meets. I love that you picked the the crazy guy outside the building. (laughs) Holding a sign. (laughs) Just handing out pamphlets. Okay, the last question is two parts. The last thing we always do is have the guest ask a question for the next guest to ask. Last episode we had on Sage, and this was his question for you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, what is the number one recording artist in this world? And what does a snippet of their most popular song sound like? Most popular recording artists in the world and what type of music are they making? What does it sound like? Uh, I appreciate you giving me the out there. Sage is clearly trying to get me to sing a fake song. Oh, I absolutely want you to sing a song, but I will let you uh, just give me a vibe of music. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, what sort of vibe on Margaritaville? Huh? What sort of vibe in this island nation? (laughs) Um, It's the top recording artist in the in like the world world like in the out- world yeah who's the i don't know adele bieber who's the k-pop group that's how much i know about K-pop. bts bts gotta say go. one direction there um so i would say that it's got to be a boy band sure uh called the assembled lads <laughs> love it and they do a sort of i guess you would call it an interesting fusion of Choral hymns <laughs> done over sort of drone metal like drums and guitars to the extent that those exist in this world. So sure. sort of like it's just like heavily magically infused like lutes. Yes. <laughs> they're just like dropping the tones down like five semitones. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're all just like distorted. And so it's like they're just you get some fucking loot player gets on it and just like rips across or like it's like shit. I really love the idea of just like heavy magical distortion on like old timey instruments. <laughs> just, 
like someone who's casting like second, third level spells on their loot just to make it have crazy fucking sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's fun. And it's just drones. And then so there's some of the some of the lads are uh on the on the loot or on like a fucked up looking flute or something. Sure, sure. And then some of the lads are just and every song is like 19 minutes long. <laughs> every every time when you say drone, are you talking like Hans Zimmer? Like bomb? No, I'm thinking like drone guitar, like sort of like a uh, like a sort of like my bloody Valentine sound, like where ooh, that's not right, but like you know, it's like drone music where it's just like long tones, like ambient oh, style. Oh, it's just like bomb, bomb, bomb. I don't know. Sure, I'll 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 I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't get you to sing, but we got we got I did a little group. of the choral boys. That's true. You did the little choral boys. Huh? They are the assembled lads. The assembled lads. And they are so popular. Yeah. Touring all around. Last question is, what is a question you have for our next guest? It can be anything big or small about the world. I would want to know. Generally speaking, is like the popular, like... I'm trying to think of the equivalent for like movies in our time, you know, but it wouldn't be projected necessarily or something. So it, there would be like stories that get told like oral. So you're asking for what like is tradition. the, what is the mode of entertainment or what is the, no, give me a good one. Like what's like going around now as like the, Oh, you got to hear this. Like, like, you know, instead of like Marvel movies, like, sure, like sure, oh, sure. let me tell you, tell you a story. It's like, oh shit. Yeah. You got to talk. You got to go to Dave's. He's doing Iron Man and everyone goes <laughs> over to Dave's and he does. <laughs> and he does uh, Iron Man. Well, yeah, but he does the, the, this world's equivalent of Iron Man. Sure. And there'd be some sort of like oral tradition, cinematic universe of uh, fun stories that everyone loves. And so what, what, what is the lore within the, the world? Like the fun, this is going to be hard for you to edit for the next person. It's going to be very hard for me. Okay. For let me start. Now it's, it's great that you saw on my face that I was trying to cut <laughs> it in my head. I was like, okay, I don't think I have the sound bite yet. <laughs> Gotta leave in the 15 minutes of silence while I stumped him. Um, I would want to know what the popular storytelling story is, which is to say the equivalent of like a Marvel story mm-hmm. or just like a pop culture movie. What is that equivalent in this world and how is it presented? You're looking for the next squid game is what you're looking for. Yeah. Give me the squid game in this world. (laughs) I love it. That's great. I don't know the answer, but we will find out next week. And to steal a line from Walter Cronkite, that's the way it is, ladies and gentlemen. Load it up in the cannon, fire it directly into the Fraction Realms. That's it for this episode of Cannon Fodder. If you want to see all of today's world building put into action, you can check out our parent show, The 20-Sided Podcast. All 11 episodes of our first season, Escape from the RMS Titanfall, are available now on all podcasting services you can imagine. If you're listening to this right now, it's probably on the same podcast service you're using. So just doop, 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 type it in. Thank you so much. Uh, Mike, anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, thank you for having me, Brian. I had a lot of fun, and I think the cannon fodder pun is very good. You do like your puns. I love it. Do you actually, can you give us a little taste of uh, some of your favorite puns? Because uh, you do have a great list of puns. I do have a great list of puns. Is this, this how you want to go out here, Brian? I, I actually do. I didn't think it was, but it, it actually is. Every time I bring this up now, like, I'll bring it up when I'm, like, doing trivia or something, and everyone's like, man, this shit fucking sucks. What are you doing? Because they're... Uh, they're tough. I know you don't like this pun, but my favorite of yours ever is Grover Dose, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, it's not, it's not, that one doesn't land as much. I don't know. 
I, I, I wrote that I around it, the time I was reading Wheel of Time. I was in a different place in my life. I think it just tickled me because I just see like the color of Grover when I like it's as if the word Grover Dose is written in like furry blue fur, and it just gets me. These are presented as if they would be fun band names or trivia names, and in no particular order. Walker, sexist ranger. Very good. Girl, boss, baby. Love it. Janet Reno, nine one one. This is great. Zoe Bechamel. <laughs> that actually got me. <laughs> Cask of Macchiato. Zoe Bechamel is really good. Pesto Bismol, and of course, Leather Daddy Daycare. Love it. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>